Father, we just uh, we give you praise today, God. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing in our life. God, you are, uh, we just want to see you break out in our life and see your power just demonstrated in our daily living. Father, we want to see the kingdom advance through us. God, we know nothing is impossible with you. And God, we want to seize that promise. We want to claim that in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, good to see you today. Welcome. Welcome. This is a great day that the God has given us. Last night we were with some friends that are in our church and they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, isn't that awesome? And uh, they'll be at second service, I guess. And uh, it was great to have Alan over there doing the DJ. And man, he, this guy's got some moves. I'm telling you, man, it was like unbelievable. But uh, it was a blessed night, and it was a great time just to be together in the Lord and, and to celebrate what God does in, uh, in the life of a couple like that who've committed themselves and been together. Let me tell you about a, a really great meeting we had this week. I kind of set it up uh, a week ago uh, for the Boys and Girls Club. We talked to you about uh, the skateboard donation we made and how that really just kind of changed the dynamic of what was going on down there. They were getting ready to close their skateboard park because they only had three skateboards. About 600 kids during the summer every day. Can you imagine that going on, right? And so uh, we gave them about 75 skateboards. They're thrilled. They're excited. And then I just got on my heart that somehow we needed to partner and have a ministry somehow with the Boys and Girls Club of Anaheim. So we met with the executive director and uh, the executive assistant this week, and, and I just kind of listened to their heart, what they've been doing, and what God is doing in that place and about 80% of the kids there are classified as homeless. And uh, most of them live in apartments, single family, um, single parent. And uh, some of them live on the street. Some of them live in a utility shed. Some of them live 30 days in an apartment, out 15, back in 30 days. And you know, my heart just kind of broke. And they began to say that during the school year, the only meal they'll get is typically the meal that they get at school. During the summer, the meals they get are the meals they get at the Boys and Girls Club. And it's right here. It's right in our backyard. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if somehow we could partner with them and and maybe minister to them? And so as I was talking to him, I I just said, hey, maybe this is a crazy idea, but uh, I know you guys need a bus. One of your buses broke down and you need a van and all this kind of stuff. What if we partnered with you? We found a way to do that. But what if we took it to another level? What if we had a ministry that... Maybe we could even pick up kids, bring them here for church on Sunday, feed them a breakfast or feed them a lunch, uh, pick up the families if they want to come. Would you be open to that? He said, we'll fully support it. Whatever you want, we'll do. And he said, in fact, we're closed on Sunday. If you want to come down here and have a site here and minister to the family and kids, we'll do that too. And it was like God just threw these doors open. And I thought, isn't it great when God just begins to work in your life to do something beyond yourself? And I said, I'm going to tell you, I'm selfish about this. And he kind of stopped and looked at me and I said, I'm selfish because I think we need that in us. It's really easy to to live in the orange curtain, isn't it? Where you've got so much going for you, so much, you know, just be blessed so highly and then forget about just not too far from us are 500 homeless kids that we could minister to, 
in a powerful way. So I just want you to know we're starting to put some plans together. We're going to see what God does with that. But, but just keep praying. Some of you have already offered and volunteered to drive buses. I mean, I don't even have a bus and you've already volunteered. To, so the new rule is if you volunteer to drive a bus, you have to bring your own bus. It's like a carpenter, bring your own saw, you got to bring your own bus. But anyway, we'll see how that works out. But anyway, let's, uh, let, let me just turn your attention to Psalm chapter 91. Psalm chapter 91, and we're going to talk about the blessed life. We're going to talk about the blessed life through the month of August. Then in September, I'm going to be talking about prophetically what's happening in the world. And then, uh, then we've got Michael Frenzy coming. The Colombo mob boss will be here with us in September. They, he's always just a powerful, powerful voice. You're going to want to invite your friends to that. And then we'll get back into the book of Genesis. So we haven't forgot it. It's there. It'll wait for us. It's been around a long time. Psalm chapter 91, beginning in verse 1. He who dwells. Now, when you read Scripture, you have to slow down long enough to see what it says. He who dwells doesn't just kind of visit, but he who makes his abode, his life, who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Did you know God has a secret place? See, you might have a secret place where you go and pray, but God says, I have a secret place. God enters into his secret place. I'm only going to assume, I'm only going to speculate here that somehow there's a secret place that he's entered into apart from the worship of the heavenly host, the angelic beings, the seraphim, the cherubim, and all those other heavenly creatures. He enters into a secret place. Maybe that's why Jesus entered into a secret place. It said he pulled himself apart from his disciples and he went and he prayed. He needed a secret place. God says, I want you to come into my secret place. I want you to dwell there. I want you to live there. I want you to have your being there. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, notice the promise, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That idea of shadow is protection. You're going to dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. Do you need a refuge and a fortress? Do you need a place where you're safe and protected? God says, I am your place. I am the one who will save you and protect you. And he says, my fortress, my God, and in him will I trust. You don't need to trust in anything or anyone else. Just trust in God. Now, I want to just take you back and I want to show you a couple of things. Notice there, it says the most high. You know what that is? It's the word. He uses four different names for God in this first couple of verses. The first one is Elyon, and it means possession. God says, I'm your owner. How much do you own? The answer is nothing. You think you own something. You really own nothing. God is the owner of all things. All the silver and gold is God's. As that one black preacher said, S.M. Lockridge, he said, God did not have to put his laundry mark on the meadow of a thousand hills, for he owns them. He did not have to put a patent on the songs the bird sings, for he owns them. You see, his lordship is based on his ownership. God is the owner of all things. He is the possessor. That's what Elyon means. And then it uses the next word, almighty. That's the word Shaddai. And it is the word literally provision. That God is a giver. Did you know God's a giver? In fact, listen, it says, God gave his only what? Begotten son. 
that you might have life. God is a giver. Now, I want to teach you something about the law of the seed. So, let's take your pen out, mark this down. This is going to be good, the law of the seed. Here's what most of us operate on. I have a need in my life. God's kingdom works differently. He works on the law of the seed. So, we're going to take this law right here, and we're going to say it's not existent. It doesn't work well. Because if you operate on this law of need, you're always going to be in want. You're always going to see, feel, look at your life and say, there's something I'm missing. I need, I need, I need, instead of looking at the law of seed. And I'm going to show you what that means. You see, what God has given you, now listen to this, what God has given you is the key to what God has promised you. Now some of you don't, didn't write that down. That's not smart. Because you say, oh, that was good. You will not remember it. You will not remember it. You don't even know your phone number anymore because it's already programmed in your phone. Right? Now listen, I'm going to say it again. I want to give you a second chance. I got the shirt on, people of the second chance. Our friend Mike Foster, it's his ministry. I'm giving you a second chance. All right, let's say it together. I get a second chance chance. All right, now write it down. Here it goes. What God has given you is the key to what God has promised you. What God has given you is the key to what God has promised you. So here's what you're going to do. Write these down too. Now listen to it. Inventory your seeds, not your needs. Inventory your seeds, not your needs. See, what people want to do is they want to get a bullet point list of, look, look what all I need. Look what all I need. You know what that does? That creates in you greed and covetousness. It creates in you selfishness. Instead of going over here and saying, let me do a bullet point inventory of what are the seeds that God has provided. Inventory your seeds and not your needs. Never study, never study what is missing in your life. That's the strategy of the enemy. He wants you to always feel like you're empty, you're lacking, poor you, Look what you're missing out on. It's the strategy from the enemy from the very beginning when he said to Eve, he said, has God really said? Look what you don't have. God doesn't want you to have something. That is the strategy of the enemy. And when you start operating out of this, you always want something more. And typically you want stuff you're never going to get. Or you're looking to the wrong source. You're looking to a person instead of God. And you want a person or a government or society, a community or a school to give you what they can't even fully give you. So you miss out and you begin to worship a false god, and that false god creates in you this constant feeling of need, 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 and you're never happy. Study what you possess. What is it God gave you? How are you wired? You study that. You begin to look at how God put the things together, and then you take every one of those things and you give your seed an assignment. What has God given you? 
You look in your life and you say, well, this is a great quality I have. It's, a, it's something God gave me. It makes me unique. All right, invest in that and say, God, what's the assignment I can give to that ability? Maybe you have a gift of hospitality and you say, God, I need to really focus in on that. How can I focus in on that seed of hospitality and what is that going to do in my life? Maybe God has given you a great business mind and, he, and you focus in on that instead of focusing in on how the business isn't working. No, you focus in on the seed of what God has given you. Let it germinate. Let it, let it come forth. Let it bring forth much fruit. Focus on the seed, not on the need. Now, he goes on and gives you a third word for God, and that's the word Jehovah. You know what that is? That's the promise of God. You know what God does? He pledges himself to you. He said, I'm yours. What do you need? I'm going to provide it through the seed. Fourth word is God, Elohim, and that means power. That means nothing is impossible for God. Amen? That was weak. (laughs) Nothing, (laughs) nothing is impossible for God. Yes or no? There you go. That's better. Doesn't it feel better? You look better when you do that. In fact, some of you even woke up. That's exciting right? My mom was telling me she grew up in this little country uh, church in, in uh, northern Missouri, and they had, uh, they had a lot of interesting things. Well, they didn't have air conditioning, so that made sleepiness easy, right? So she said they had a guy, this was his ministry. This is no lie. I'm thinking about instituting if some of you keep sleeping on me. But they had a guy with a pole. This is, this is true. And he would watch, and if somebody started nodding off, he would go over and take the pole pump them a couple of times and wake them up. They also used to baptize down this little creek called Muscle Fork, and Muscle Fork apparently had a problem. It was filled with water moccasins. So another ministry they had, they had two guys who were watchers, and their job was to watch for the water moccasins while the baptisms were going on. Now, you know what? You better believe in Jesus if you're getting baptized in water with water moccasins. You know, it's going to make you want to be a Methodist or something. I just sprinkle me, forget the water moccasin deal. Amen? All right, Bill Johnson. Let me tell you what Bill Johnson says. The invisible realm, the invisible realm is superior to the natural. The reality of that invisible world dominates the natural world we live in, both positively and negatively. Because the invisible is superior to the natural, faith is anchored in the unseen. You can't bless God and expect to have it afterwards. You have to say, God, I'm going to bless you, and I know it's on its way. See, everybody says, well, boy, if God would just do this, I'd bless the Lord. No, that doesn't work that way. You bless the Lord, see what God is going to do. Just say, God, I expect it to be coming my way. You're in, it's on the pipeline. I don't know where it is. It's coming. I had a dream the other night. It was the most vivid dream I've ever had in my life. I'm not going to tell you a lot of the details on it other than God gave me a dream of someone making this gigantic donation to influence church. And it was a game changer, and it was so specific, and I've tried to shake it, I've tried to blame it on pizza, I've tried to do everything in the world, and I said, God, I'm just going to put it before you, I'm not going to tell the amount to anybody, and I'm just going to see what God's going to do with it, amen? But I'm believing God for it. All right, now let's go to Psalm 91, verses 3 and 4. Look at this. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. The snare of the fowler. You ever tried to catch something with a trap? 
I tried to catch a mouse with a trap the other day. How in the world do they eat cheese and peanut butter off of that thing when I can't even set it down without it going off? Four days in a row, I gave up. I said, I can't do it. He's smarter than me. I'm just done with it. Let him live. All right, now. (laughs) The snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers. And under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Hey, the fowler's coming, the pestilence coming. You ever seen pestilence come? You ever seen the fowler come trying to trap you, trying to snare you? God says, I will be your refuge. I will be your strength. I will be your strong tower. Hey, let me tell you a story. This just happened this week. Friend of mine, I'm just going to read a portion of what he wrote. He said this, my physician informed me that I had cancer markers Two different oncologists diagnosed me with carcinoid uh, tumors, not a good sign, and indicated that I needed some pretty radical attention. I learned one marker, which has a normal range of 0 to 95, mine was 1,051. As I was headed to my PET scan, I called my friend Phil, and Phil began to pray over me over the phone to the God with an open heaven for healing. He later told me he didn't never heard that term before. He thought it was some California term. I had a meeting with the head of oncology. He walks into our room. He sits and stares and says, why are you so healthy? Why do you look so good? Your PET scan was virtually normal other than large lymph nodes. Why do you not have huge cancers lit up on the PET scan? This is the head of oncology of a major university hospital. My wife and I chimed in immediately, maybe it was God, and the doctor said, yes, I've seen that before. Put your hands together. Are you kidding me? I mean, think about that. That's a miracle, guys. That is a miracle that's verified by the medical community. When I tell you, and, and I've, we've said it often, and when I say every week goes by, we see some, God doing something that gets into that bucket called miracle. I'm not kidding. We don't even share them all. What God is doing is amazing. And we want him to do more, amen? I don't want him to stop with that. You know what God is trying to do through all this stuff, whether it's a setback, whether it's a test, whether it's a a retooling of your life, he's trying to develop intimacy with you. Intimacy, let me show you what intimacy does. It reveals the secrets of God. When you get intimate with God, he'll tell you some secrets. He'll show you some stuff that you've never seen before. He'll talk to you in a way that you've never heard before. He'll open up your mind in a way that you've never seen before. When you get intimate with God, you will develop a kingdom heart. You'll begin to look at the world through the kingdom of God and not through the kingdom of this world. You'll stop looking at headlines and stop looking at news articles and and be filled with fear and apprehension. You'll look at everything through the kingdom and say, my father never gets it wrong. Let's say that together. My father never gets it wrong. 
You see, you get it wrong, I get it wrong most of the time. He never gets it wrong. When you develop intimacy with God, it will cause the supernatural to become natural. In other words, of course that's how it works. We're moving in the dimension of the supernatural. This is how God works. When you develop an intimacy with God, revelation will create an appetite for God. God will show you something. You go, oh, I want more God. He'll show you more God, more God, more God. And you increase your appetite like eating Lay's potato chips. I love Lay's potato chips. It's hard to get my wife to buy Lay's potato chips. She's like a health, you know, food nut kind of thing. We get tree bark and bird seeds and, you know, lettuce that looks like you ought to mow it over. I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about? But a Lay's potato chip, it's got a shelf life of 200 years. I know that because we bought some. We buy them every, every Thanksgiving, you know, and she makes this green stuff. I don't know what it is, but it's just, and you, I take those potato chips and dip it in that green jello stuff. Man, it's good. All right? So November, right? I'm eating the chips in May. They're still as fresh as they were in November. Now, I know some of you health food people are going to say, well, that's not good for you. Oh, yeah, like you're healthy. Right? Have you ever been in a health food store? Nobody looks healthy in a health food store. All are, amen? Am I right? Am I right? You walk in there and they go, on their face, it's just, it looks like I want an In-N-Out burger so bad. But I made this crazy vow that I'm going to eat tree bark and bird seeds the rest of my life. Amen? Heard about the old couple that died, went to heaven. And, well, the husband died first and he went to heaven. And then about five years later, the wife joined him and, and uh, she walked around and she was walking with him and said, this is a wonderful place. Look how beautiful it is. And he looked at her and he said, yeah, and, and I'd have been here five years earlier if I hadn't eaten that stupid bran muffin you gave me. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Psalm 91, let's look at verses five and six. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by the day. Now look at this next phrase, very interesting. Nor the pestilence that walks in darkness. Interesting, isn't it? Very interesting phrase. Nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. I'm going to give you a couple of things here. Here's, here's the first one. Refuse fear and terrify the enemy. This is really good. This is really a good statement. When you refuse fear, you terrify the enemy. He goes, what? You're not afraid? Are you kidding me? It's a whole classic bully thing. You know, it's kind of like the bully in the school and, and the little kid gets pushed around. Finally, he's had all he can take and he punches him in the nose and the bully runs and hides. You see, Satan is a bully. When you refuse fear... You terrify the enemy because his only tactic is fear. That's why the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. God wants us to operate in strength, in faith, and in power, and not in fear. Terrify the enemy when you say, I'm not afraid. No worries. God is for me. Who can be against me? You see, what he does is he lets uh, the enemy wants you to feel like the pestilence is walking. Oh, it's walking all right. The pestilence is walking in the darkness. You, you know how you know it? When the pestilence walks, he quiets the voice of God in your heart. You can't hear God. I can't hear God. It's because you're walking in fear and not in power. When pestilence walks, he creates false comfort. 
You know that the enemy is going to try to to mimic everything God has in the spirit realm. He can give false power. He can give false hope. He can give false comfort. And no wonder because the scripture says over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Satan even disguises himself as an angel of light. So what he'll do sometimes is he'll create this, uh, this idea that I can comfort you, but you don't know it's coming from him. So let me give you an example. Let's say you get offended or you're unwilling to forgive someone. That ever happened to you? If you're human, it has. All right, let's just all get on the same page. Offended or you don't want to forgive. So what will happen is here's how he does it. He'll, find, he'll bring someone into your path who has a similar offense or a similar unforgiveness. They'll bring them into your path, and you'll tell them your story, and they'll agree with you. And when they agree with you, you actually increase the offense. Because you don't solve it, you increase it. By saying, yeah, I know what you mean, I'm offended too, or I'm hurt, or yeah, they did that to me as well. And the increase, uh, the, uh, the offense increases... Jesus knew that would happen. He told this parable in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, it's a story of a guy who, who, who owed his, uh, his boss several million dollars. And the boss was going to put him in prison. He begged. He said, don't do it. Don't put me in prison. And he forgave him his entire debt. Then the guy goes out, and he had a friend that owed him like five dollars. And he said to him, hey, give me the $5 you owe me. And he said, I don't have it. I'll pay it. Just please, you know. And he put him in debtor's prison for over $5. Well, the master heard about it. He goes to him. He said, how could you do that? I forgave you so much. And you had no mercy on the man who, who really owed you so little. And it says he put him in the prison that the tormentors might torment him day and night. Now, remember, it's a parable. He's trying to teach you something in the spiritual realm, not in the physical realm. Because he finishes that parable by saying, if you don't forgive someone, they're not, then you're not going to be forgiven. How can God forgive you of all you've done and you can't forgive somebody of something small? Now, here's what the tormentors are. You know what the tormentors are? Not the literal prison. It's not what he's talking about. You see, unforgiveness and offenses inside of you They torment you day and night. They control you day and night. And you're getting false comfort, and it's never satisfying. Never satisfying. Yeah, I'm offended too. And have you ever noticed offended people travel in packs? They do. Nobody's ever content to be offended by themselves. They want a whole team. They want to get a community group together. Maybe start a church. We're going to have a, the offense church. Everybody come over here. We're all offended. Let's just be offended. You see, that's the tactic of the enemy. A strategy of the enemy. See, we have to live on the promises of God. Amen? Just live on His promises. What does God say? I'm just going to do that. God said, I'm going to do that. Do that. I'm going to serve the king. I'm not going to serve anyone. I'm going to serve the king. Just serve the king. God, what do you want? I'm going to serve the king. Psalm 91, verse 7, look at this. This just keeps getting good. I just wish we had another hour. Oh, we do. Just stay. Okay, Psalm 91, verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, 
but it will not come near you because you dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. Hey, that, you're going to see, you're going to see destruction all around you and you're going, how am I still going through this? Why am I still alive? God says, because you're dwelling in the secret place of the Most High God. You're dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty. God is your fortress and your refuge. You shall not be moved. Amen? Amen. I mean, you, and I love what Paul Bilheimer, I love this guy. If you've never read the book, Destined for the Throne, you should pick up a copy and read it. We offered it in our school of ministry not too long ago, and, and everybody, saw, when we did the evaluation, everybody said that was their favorite book, bar none, the large percentage of people. Paul Bilheimer said this, when we understand that Satan can attack us only with God's permission, and that God's purpose in permitting it is to teach us authority. Now watch this. Then we know there is no necessity for our defeat. We know that victory is ours no matter how long and desperate the conflict. We may be assured as soon as we have learned the new lesson in overcoming, God will take care of Satan. God just turned you into an overcomer. He's looking for spiritual warriors, not spiritual midgets. He wants giants. Amen? Let's stand together. I'm gonna, we're going to give you this declaration of victory that I wrote. Just repeat this with me. This is such a, a great way to take and pull all this together today. In the secret place of the Most High God. That's your turn. We're going to do like remedial church 101. Okay, here's what happens. When I say you're going to repeat it, you're going to go, oh, I must open my mouth. Got it? In the secret place of the Most High God. I have victory over my enemies. God has surrounded me with His holy angels. His word is my strength. And His Spirit is my power. power. He delivers me from the arrows that fly by day. The darkness is powerless. powerless. Say that how you mean it. The darkness is powerless. powerless. Because of the blood of the Lamb. I refuse fear. And I choose power. I live on the promises of God. I serve the King all the days of my life and reap huge rewards for my faithfulness. Amen. Just bow your heads with me right now and just make a commitment right now that you're going to walk in victory. You're going to dwell in the secret place of the Most High God under the shadow of the Almighty. That God will be your fortress. God will be your refuge. That you'll not choose false comfort. You'll not choose to focus on your needs, but you'll focus on the seeds. You'll focus on the things that are going to work in your life. Not the things that don't work. The things that work are kingdom principles. They work in every area of your life, whether it's your family, whether it's your business, whatever it might be, your education, God works through all those things and He wants to see you prosper. A biblical prosperity doesn't necessarily mean you're rich. 
It means you have all that you really need to function in life. That you're happy, that you're healthy, that you've got friends, that you've got encouragement, that your life is good. God wants that for every one of His children. He wants it for you. Some of you have given up some ground to the enemy. Just maybe because you didn't know what to do. The Bible says that my children are often destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Just knowledge on how to live out this Christian life. How to access the power of God. How to operate in the kingdom of God. Whatever you're lacking right now, do you know that God wants to give you the wisdom to move forward? The Bible says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives freely and without reproach. But let him ask in faith. Let not the double-minded man think he can receive anything from the Lord. Just say, God, I lack wisdom. Maybe there's some unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe you feel offended in some way. Would you just give that over to God right now? Maybe you've sought false comfort. Didn't know that's what it was. Would you just reject that? See, the Holy Spirit is the only true comforter. He's the only one who can really, really comfort you. Just ask Him to. God, remove the tormentors that have kept me back from loving and living life to the fullest. Give me that abundant life you speak of in Scripture that I might walk always in faithfulness, God. Lord God, as you have heard the hearts and the prayers of everyone here today, I just pray, God, that the Lord would bless each one. The Lord will keep you. The Lord will sustain you. The Lord will cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord will be gracious and glorious to you in all that he does. That you will truly be a fully functioning member of the kingdom of God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May God bless you guys. Have a great day. Enjoy life. Amen.